Thank you, Leon. Devotional, very short, and yet tied in perfectly with the message that Lord laid on my heart to share with you all this morning. Uh, it's a little bit of, of background, maybe. Sometimes when I'm, I'm preparing a message, I think, where, where was this birth? You know, where did, what led me in this direction? And probably what led me in this direction was, uh, was my newest grandson, Matthias, is what just turned two in January, I believe. And little guy, uh, there was a little gap there between Henry and Matthias. And so I, I'm appreciating a, a new grandchild again. And I'm just struck different times by his uh, just interacting with him. Not, not with them that much. They don't live real close to us, but, but just seeing the expression on Matthias's face is just so, I just, different times. I'm just struck by the way he, he just gazes at me or looks at me. And with that in mind, reading through the Bible and reading through chapter uh, 18 of Luke recently, you can turn to Luke 18. I was uh, thinking of that, thinking of Matthias as I was uh, reading the, this, these verses and developed it into a message that for, to share with you this morning. And I want to use Luke 18, uh, verses 1 through 25. And I have a long title this morning. I don't like long message titles, but that's uh, all I have to offer this morning. And the title is, Two Parables, A Profound Truth, and a Sad Story. Two parables, a profound truth, and a sad story. And of course, the parables, if, you, if you're Luke, familiar with Luke 18, we have the parable of the unrighteous judge, verses 1 through 8, and then 9 through 14, we have the parable of the Pharisee and the publican, and 15 through 17, we have the little children and the kingdom of heaven, and which is the profound truth I want to share this morning, and then in verses 18 through 25, we have the rich young ruler, or the sad story. And I want to do something, I'm, I'm not going to take them in order this morning. I want to focus in on the profound truth that we find in verses 15 through 17, and then use points from the parables and the sad story to further illuminate and help us to understand this profound truth that Jesus taught here. So at this time, let's look at, we're in Luke 18, I want to read verses 15 through 17. In Luke 18, verse 15, And they brought unto him also infants, that they would touch them. But when his disciples saw it, they rebuked him. But Jesus called them unto him and said, Suffer little children to come unto me, and forbid them not. For of such is the kingdom of God. Verily I say unto you, Whosoever shall not receive the kingdom of God as a little child shall in no wise enter therein. And I've entitled this, these verses, A Profound Truth. When, and one thing I should make clear maybe is, in these verses, he talks about uh, infants. In verse 15, it uses the words infants. And then later, Jesus refers to little children. And if you study the words in Greek, it's talking about young children. It's talking about babies and maybe a toddler, but very young children. Jesus is referring to uh, in, in these verses. And I use the word profound. The word profound uh, means some synonyms would be deep, thoughtful, reflective, and weighty. 
And I might ask the question, who totally understands this, what Jesus taught here? Uh, We've all read it many times, at least I have, and every time I read it, it's like, what, what? It's very profound. You can think about it. You can, you can meditate on it. But it is a very profound truth that Jesus teaches. And I would like to uh, just have us meditate on this this morning and maybe open up our understanding a little bit. First of all, let's, it has two parts to it. The first part, I believe, is much easier to understand than the second part. Uh, the first profound part we find in, uh, in verse 16 when Jesus says, suffer little children to come unto me and forbid them not, for of such is the kingdom of God. We take great comfort in that, knowing that uh, little children are in the presence of God. They're in heaven. There, there's no doubt in our minds that if a small child passes away, that they are in heaven. The, the heaven of God, or the, the kingdom of heaven is made up of a a percentage of it, small children, uh, aborted babies, uh, miscarriages. They are, little children are in heaven, and we take great comfort from that, knowing that, and it seems so right that that they would be with Jesus. But then it's the second part in, uh, in verse 17, where Jesus says, Verily, or truly I say unto you, whosoever shall not receive the kingdom of God as a little child shall in no wise enter in. So Jesus says, a person must, the, a person must receive the kingdom of heaven the same way that a small child does And apart from receiving it that way, they shall in no wise, it's impossible to enter into heaven without that. So what is it? What is Jesus talking about? How is it even possible for you and I to receive the kingdom as a small child? What exactly does Jesus mean I believe there's one word that encapsulates the profound truth that we find in these verses. One word that just encapsulates it, the truth that Jesus is teaching in in these verses. What is it? Anybody? What do you think the word is? What is the word that just encapsulates? a A number of parents here this morning have small children in your laps or maybe a toddler sitting beside you. And what is it when you look into their face that just, there, there's a, a, an English word that just radiates. What is it that I see in little Matthias when I look at him? The word is innocence. Innocence. So innocent. They are not, maybe there's two parts to their innocence, at least in my, my observations. The first part is that they are totally trusting in you, in in their parent, totally trusting. 100% confidence. And the second part is they are hiding nothing. They have nothing to hide. There's nothing hidden, absolutely nothing. As a parent, 
You look into their eyes and you know everything to know about that child. They're hiding nothing. They trust in you. And so I believe therein is this profound truth that apart from us totally trusting in the Lord Jesus and hiding nothing, we cannot enter into the kingdom of heaven. Innocence. Blameless, guiltless. You know, every one of us was either is there or was there. Every one of us has experienced that in life. Innocence. We were that small child. We were innocent. We looked into our parents totally into their eyes, totally trusting them. And we were we were innocent. Nothing to hide. 100% innocent. And because of that, we can just gaze into our parents' eyes. Just that beautiful look of innocence. But the sad truth is that those of us who are adults all have lost that innocence. And it's called the fallen nature. We were born with the fallen nature and we lost that innocence. And Jesus says in these verses that apart from becoming innocent again, there's no way we'll ever enter the kingdom of heaven. And those are the words of Jesus. Jesus said it, and it's true. But thank God, there is a way. There's not multiple ways. There's only one way. And that way is as a little child. And Jesus makes it clear, there's no other way. It's impossible to enter any other way. So a, a child-parent relationship is duplicated in, a, in an adult-God relationship, must be duplicated where we can look at God in total innocence, hiding nothing, and then we also can enter the kingdom of heaven. What a young child has with his parents, we can duplicate and making a way for us to enter into heaven. An adult cannot survive without an, uh, I should say, an infant cannot survive without an adult. You think about that, a little infant cannot, they, they are totally dependent on an adult. They cannot survive. You let a, a, a newborn to itself and the, they will surely die. They cannot survive without an adult. And likewise, an adult cannot survive spiritually without God. Impossible. So how does one become innocent again? We'll pick that up again at the, at the end of the message. And now I want to look at the, at the two parables. And then later at the, the sad story as, we, as I draw some points from them that I believe tie into this profound truth we're looking at this morning. And the first parable we find in verses 1 through 8, and it's the parable of the unrighteous judge. I want to read that, Luke 18, verse 1. And he spake a parable unto them to this end, that men ought always to pray and not to faint, 
saying, There was in a city a judge which feared not God, neither regarded man. And there was a widow in that city, and she came unto him, saying, Avenge me of mine adversary, and he would not for a while. But afterward he said within himself, Though I fear not God, nor regard man, yet because this widow troubleth me, I will avenge her, lest by her continual coming she weary me. And the Lord said, Hear what the unjust judge saith, and shall not God avenge his own elect, which cry day and night unto him, though he bear long with them? I tell you that he will avenge them speedily. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man cometh, shall he find faith on the earth. Most of the times we hear this parable taught, uh, we, we, it's applied to persistent prayer and having a persistent prayer life, and that's very appropriate. I want to look at it this morning through a little bit of a different lens. I want to look at this. Uh, this widow was a very vulnerable uh, person, and she was in a lot of ways helpless, and she had this adversary who was tormenting her, if you will, and was being very mean to her, and she felt very helpless in this situation. She was being taken advantage of very unfairly, and she's uh, felt like she she needed to be uh, she needed to find help for this this adversary who was taking advantage of her. And in this, I see a picture of fallen mankind past the innocent stage in the clutches of Satan. You know, there's a verse in 2 Timothy 2.26 that says that they may recover themselves out of the snare of the devil who are taken captive by him at his will. As adults, prior to conversion, we have an adversary, and it is Satan, and we are in his clutches, and he is taking advantage of us and we find ourselves in a, in a helpless situation, if you will. And what can we possibly do? And this widow found herself in this situation with this adversary, and she cried out persistently. She went to the judge. She, she must have thought this through carefully and said, this judge is the law and the land, and he's the only person that can help me with this adversary that I have. And so she went to him and she did not take no for an answer. She pested him and she pled with him and she begged him to take care of this adversary who was troubling her like a hurting, hungry child. I was, a few weeks ago, I was with Matthias on a Sunday afternoon, and because he had a lot of cousins at his house, he got, to, he got to bed for his nap way too late, and then he woke up way too early, and he was not happy. He was, he screamed, and he, he wanted, and his mother wasn't there, just as just Ted was there, and he wanted his father, and he screamed for him, and when, when Ted would hold him, he kept screaming and he wanted down. And when Ted would put him down, he kept screaming. He wanted him to hold him again. And he was just miserable. But one thing that he wanted for sure was he wanted his dad. He wanted to be held. He wanted, he, he knew where to go. And he, he just screamed and screamed 
until finally uh, his father was able to comfort him. And it reminded me of this widow. She went to this unjust judge and she screamed and pled with him until he took care of it. And Jesus says, look, if this unjust judge was moved by a persistent widow who was there, just think how much more I am moved by persistence and somebody coming to me and pleading to be relieved of, of, their, of their adversary. And so he makes it very clear that he's, he's much more likely to do that. He says in verse 8, I tell you that he will avenge them speedily. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man cometh, shall he find faith on earth. So she had confidence in this judge to deliver her. And so for a person to be saved, we must first of all recognize that there's an adversary. We must recognize that we're lost. We must have a desire to be saved. This lady could have put up with her adversary. She could have said, well, this is, this is my lot in life. This guy's going to pest me and hound me to death. And he's so nasty and cruel. But I guess I just need to put up with it. No, she decided there's a better. I, I, want, I can't handle this anymore. I want rid of him. And so she went to the only person that she had any confidence in that was able to deliver her. And likewise, you and I, when we realize and we, and we are awakened to the fact that we have an adversary and that the devil is having free reign in our life and he's controlling us, we're in his clutches, and we, we come to the, the realization and, and make a decision that we want to be freed from this, there is only one person we can go to and that is to God. And we, and we need to go to him and we need to come pesting and persisting that we are set free as this lady did. There's a, a verse in Luke 13, 24 where Jesus says, strive to enter in at the straight gate for many I say unto you will seek to enter in and shall not be able. You know, we hear a lot today in the world about seekers people seeking the kingdom of heaven. This verse makes it clear that if you're seeking, it's not enough. You need, we need to strive. And the word strive, and I've, I've used this illustration already, if you study the word strive in Greek, and it means to, to intently try, it reminds me of, a, of a, when you're playing baseball, somebody's in the outfield and there's, a ball comes your direction, and somebody will put, all the effort into it and they'll just so catch it. It's like, wow, what a catch. And the other person's like, duh, yeah, I'll never get there. The ball drops. And it's like, why didn't he try? The one strove to catch it and the other one didn't. And Jesus says in this verse, he says, we need to strive to enter the kingdom. And that's what this lady did. She went to the judge and she said, she just pested him and hounded him until he gave in and said, look, uh, I'm going to deliver you from your adversary. And so Jesus wants people to come to him persistently and pleading to, to be delivered of their adversary. Do you think when she went to the judge, this lady goes to this unjust judge, do you think she looked him in the eye and do you think she told him all the facts 
Or do you think she beat around the bush and she looked this way, the judge is standing here and she's looking over here and then looking over here. No, 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 no. She went to the judge, she looked him in the eye and she begged him, she pled with him and she told him everything that's going on in her life and how this adversary is dealing so harshly with her and she just laid it all out. And she said, you're the person that can help me. And I, you need to help me. You need to deliver me from my adversary. She was 100% open and transparent with the judge. Verses 9 through 14, we find the parable of the Pharisee and the publican. And let's look at this briefly. And a certain ruler asked him, saying, good master, what shall I do? No, I'm sorry. Verses, uh, the wrong verses wrote down here, the Pharisee and the public. Let's go back here to uh, verse 9. Verse 9. And he spake this parable unto certain which trusted in themselves that they were righteous and despised others. Two men went up into the temple to pray, the one a Pharisee and the other a publican. The Pharisee stood up and prayed thus with himself, God, I thank thee that I am not as other men are, extortioners, unjust, idolaters, and even as this publican. I fast twice in the week. I give tithes of all that I possess. And the publican standing afar off would not lift up so much as his eyes unto heaven, but smote upon his breast saying, God be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone that exalted himself shall be abased and he that humbleth himself shall be exalted. This uh, parable makes it clear that one can go to church and even pray to God and be trusting in themselves as this Pharisee did. Went to the temple, prayed, but his trust was in himself. In this Pharisee's short prayer, he used the word I five times. Five times. I, I, I. And he told God, who by the way knows all things, he told God how good he was. And also told God that he was better than others. So opposite of young children who will play with anyone. Doesn't matter what color their skin is. Doesn't matter if they're rich or poor, if their parents are rich. Doesn't matter. They'll play with anyone. No problem. Young children neither think highly of themselves or lowly of others. Am I trusting in myself and my good works or am I trusting in God? A telltale indicator and sign, and you can take it from this parable, makes it very clear in here, a telltale indicator of whether you're trusting in yourself or you're trusting in God is what do you think of other people? Really, what do you think of other people? It's an indicator of whether we trust in ourselves or we trust in God. Do you value and treasure other people? Or are other people just not as good as you are? And just kind of, you know, uh, this parable just brings that out so clearly. And when you think of little children, they're not like the Pharisee. It's not the nature 
of a young, innocent child. Attending church and praying to God is very important, but the content of my speech and my prayers reveal who I really am inside. Now, let's move on to verses 18 through 25, the rich young ruler. Verses 18, and a certain ruler asked him, saying, Good master, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said unto him, Why callest thou me good? None is good, save one, that is God. Thou knowest the commandments. Do not commit adultery, do not kill, do not steal, do not bear false witness. Honor thy father and thy mother. And he said, All these have I kept from my youth up. Now when Jesus heard these things, he said unto him, Yet lackest thou one thing, Sell all that thou hast, and distribute unto the poor, and thou shalt have treasure in heaven, and come, follow me. And when he heard this, he was very sorrowful, for he was very rich. And when Jesus saw that he was very sorrowful, he said, How hardly shall they that have riches enter into the kingdom of God? For it is easier for a camel to go through, the needle, through a needle's eye than for a rich man to enter into the kingdom of God." This rich young ruler was a legalist who loved money. He had money, and money oftentimes brings with it power, and he was enjoying that. Do material possessions control a young, innocent child? No. You can, you can offer a little child a $100 bill or a penny and... Who knows which one they'll take. To to a young child, there's no difference. It means nothing. Zilch, nada, nothing. Has no, means nothing to them. All they're worried about is their relationship with their parents and that their parents sustain them and give them what they need in life. Money is meaningless to a young, innocent child. And... The profound truth we're looking at this morning makes it very clear that we have got to be like a young child. We've got to be innocent like that if we're going to enter the kingdom of heaven. Do you know one of the things that that amazes me, and it's it's a struggle with all of us, and I'm not gonna I'm not gonna say that that it's something that we don't struggle with. I believe all of us struggle with it but it's it's something that we have to have victory over and we are able to have victory over uh, this whole thing. We we need money to live. We need a, uh, and as you get older, it's nice to have something uh, for when you can't work anymore. It's called retirement or whatever so that uh, we're not on the welfare rolls in our later years in life. And so we, we need money. We can't live without it. And yet at the same time, we dare not allow it to have a grip on us. I marvel sometimes today in the, in the political realms at, at the age of some of our senators and congressmen and, and even our president. I look at their age and I'm like, and, and it's like uh, right now it's either in the Congress or this, there's some in, in wheelchairs that are, that there's people better in the Richland home. And it's like, what are they, and I asked somebody recently, I said, what is it? 
And they, oh, they, can't, they cannot let go of that power. Really can't let go of the power. And, and, the, the, and it was the money that, and the position that brought that power. And they can't let go of it, even though they are hardly able to function anymore. And that is really sad. That is so sad. And as, as God's children, let that never be found among us that we would be like that because we need, if we're going to be part of the kingdom of God, we need to, we need to enter it uh, as a young, innocent child where money and power and position has no connection to a young, innocent child. They're not trusting in that in any way, shape, or form. Luke 16, 13 says, No servant can serve two masters, for either, either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will hold to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. We cannot gain eternal life while clutching on to our goodness, which is like filthy rags. Neither can we gain it while clutching on to our material possessions. We've got to let it all here. It's impossible to hold on to that and to also have eternal life. But what was this rich young ruler, what was his primary problem? You read through this and right away it's power and position, material things, but what was his primary problem? His primary problem, in my estimation, was that, here, here, first of all, it's the, one of the reasons it's so sad, he went to the, you know, sometimes we go to the wrong person for advice. Uh, I marvel today. Sometimes I, like we all do, I think, we, I have a problem and it's like 20 years ago this didn't work. But today you go to Google and you, you Google and it's like, and I have found some incredible information that I need for what I'm working at or what I'm doing. It's like, wow, this is perfect. And then I start, and then it's like, this is not working. And then I go back and it's like, oh, here's the exact opposite. No, you don't turn it to the left, you turn it to the right. It's like, oh, I yeah, somebody 100% wrong information. And, and so if you go to the wrong source, you get the wrong information. But this rich young ruler, he went to the right person. He was asking Jesus himself, what must one do to obtain eternal life? So he's, he's at the right place, no doubt about it. And Jesus, knowing him, from beginning to end, like a parent knows their child, Jesus says, well, you got to keep the commandments. And this young man fibs to Jesus. He says, oh, I, I've kept them all. And Jesus very wisely says, well, there's just one, one more yet that you have to keep, and that is just sell all your stuff, just get rid of it, and come follow me. You know what that reminds me of? It reminds me of, of a parent having a distraught infant, and they, they, they know exactly what the little child needs. They say, you need your bed. You're tired. This is what you, this will fix it. Guaranteed. And the child's like, no, no, no. I, you, they scream and scream. No, you need your bed. That's what you need. And so Jesus here has the perfect answer for this rich young ruler. He says, just sell what you have. Come follow me. And you can have and you will receive the kingdom of heaven. And the rich young ruler goes away sadly because he did not want the remedy 
that Jesus had for him. And the remedy that Jesus had for him was that he had to surrender his money and his power, just lay it all down. That's what's preventing you from entering the kingdom of lay it all down and come follow me and you will have and receive the kingdom of heaven. And this rich young ruler was unable to surrender to Jesus who had the perfect remedy and he's like, nope. And scripture says he went away sadly. Makes this such a sad, sad story. He didn't like the medicine. He didn't like, and probably the truth today is that the thing that prevents most people from becoming a Christian, from surrendering their life to the Lord is the fact that I want to do it my way. I want to, I, I just want to, I want to be in control. And Jesus says, no, I'm in control. Come, follow me. That's the, that's the remedy. That's the medicine. And no, rich young ruler says, I'm having none of this. I'll keep my money. I'll keep my power. You can go your way and I'll live my life the way I want to live it. My short life, very short life. And the sad thing is that his money and his power won't get him into heaven. But Jesus had the perfect remedy. So how does one, back to our question, how does one become innocent again? Like a young child that can gaze into their parent's face, totally transparent, nothing to hide, 100% transparent, totally trusting in their parent, just looking, gazing, uh, I might also add back to the, the parable of the Pharisee and the publican where the Pharisee uh, didn't like the publican very much or other people very much. He was much better. You know, that's so different than a child. Uh, a young child, it's not only their parents many times that they'll look into their face so innocently and trust them. Most, most children, not at all times, but most children, you give them uh, any loving adult and they'll, they'll trust them too. And, uh, yeah, it doesn't have to, you know, they, of course they, they prefer their parents, but many times it's other adults as well. It can be grandma, grandpa, it can be the neighbor lady, it can be somebody that is caring for the child, and they'll look at them the same way and have that same trust in them. And uh, they're not, uh, not like the Pharisee at all. So how does one become innocent again? like a young child that can gaze into their parents' face with dependency, hiding nothing. Remember, two, two, two parts. Dependency, total faith, total trust. I depend on you and I'm hiding nothing. That is the way that we need to look into God's face, totally trusting him, total dependence, and I'm hiding nothing. I've re everything is revealed. You know everything anyways. It's all out. And that's why I can look into your face like that with total trust and total dependency. Do you know something else? That is, that's just a, 
a, a picture of, of Christianity. But you know one thing that is, is beautiful about the church? The church is, is made up of call-out people. We've been born again, and we're, we're part of God's kingdom. And so we can look each other in the eye. We're not hiding anything from each other. And so we get together, and we can just look each other in the eye, and there's nothing there to hide but you know, sometimes the truth is that sometimes there's people that, some, we, what do we call it, shifty eyes, you know, they just can't look at you. Uh, they're looking this way or looking that way, hiding something. And that is a sign of, of not depending on God, not trusting God, not having experienced deliverance. But what we want is we want to be able to be delivered from our adversary as the widow lady was and to be able to, to re, regain that innocence that we had as a young child so that we can gaze into the eyes of God and, have, and hiding nothing and totally trusting in him. In John 3, when Jesus uh, was corresponding with Nicodemus, Jesus said to Nicodemus, he said, except the man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Except the man be born of water and of the spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the spirit is spirit. And so we're talking about, Jesus is talking here about a spiritual birth. A person must experience a spiritual birth so that we can return to that state of innocence that we had as a child, which brings with it contentment and joy and, you know, it, it's, so, it, it's so pleasant living, uh, having somebody care for, for every need that we have, like God does for his children, the same way a parent does for their child. A, child, a, a little infant, one of the reasons that, they're, that they, uh, they're so innocent and they totally trust their parent, it's like they, there's, they don't have a single doubt that their parents are going to care for them and meet their needs. They don't have a doubt about that. And as Christians, we don't have a doubt that God's going to meet our needs and care for us. And it's why we can go to bed at night and sleep good, knowing God has this thing. He has it covered. He's caring for us. And we, we are again experiencing that innocence that we experience as a child. How can I be born of the Spirit? First of all, we need to admit that we have a serious problem and that we have an adversary, and that I cannot look God in the eye There's because sin is, has entered in, and I cannot look at God. And then I need to believe, I need to have faith in God that he can and will deliver me. Our Sunday school lesson was on faith this morning, and uh, faith in God, like that the widow went to that unjust judge, and she knew that he could deliver her, and he did. She persisted till he delivered her. And that's what faith is. When we come to God and we say, God, I know you can deliver me from this. And we lay everything out and we tell him, tell him and confess to him who we are and what we've done and commit our life to him. And then we will experience spiritual life and the new birth confessing our sins to God, who already knows them, by the way, and it always involves repentance. Turning your Bibles to 1 John, the 
1 John and chapter 1. Read a few verses here in closing. 1 John 1. In 1 John 1, verse 7. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship one with another. And the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanseth us from all sin. All sin. What a blessing to know that it's the blood of Jesus that cleanses us from all sin. And verse 8 says, if we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. Verse 9, if we confess our sins, plural, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That is how a person returns to that state of innocence that we enjoyed as an infant. Jesus made the way. It's through the blood of Jesus. Take your Christian hymnal, your Christian hymnal, and turn to song number 277. I want to look at this song a little bit, and then we're going to sing it. Song number 277 in the Christian hymnal. And we're going to sing this song together this morning for a closing song. And those of us who are believers here this morning, I want us to be blessed by this song and encouraged by it. Just a one of my favorite songs that is, is so meaningful. And the, the theology coming through these, through these words are just powerful. The first verse, would you live for Jesus and be always pure and good? Would you walk with him within the narrow road? Would you have him bear your burden, carry all your load? Notice this next phrase. Let him have his way with thee. The rich young ruler went to Jesus and he would not. Jesus said, here, here's what, no. The key is to let him have his way with you. And then, and we all quickly say, we say, well, I, I can't be good. I, I, I try to be good. I can't be good. No, let him have his way with you. And then the refrain goes like this. And here, this is so important. It says, his power can make you what you ought to be. As a believer, have you found that true in your life? That it's his power that can make us what we ought to be. That Pharisee went up there and he's praying. He's talking about how good he is. No, it's his power that can make us what we ought to be. It's, and the refrain goes on. His blood can cleanse your heart and make you free. His love can fill your soul and you will see that it was best for him to have his way with you, with thee. That rich young ruler, he walked, he walked away from a phenomenal experience that he could have had with Jesus, he could have been born again. He could have he could have received the kingdom of heaven on earth that day. He could have had, could have been had a spiritual rebirth, 
And instead of that, he walked away with his money that's going to get all moldy and, and rusty. He walked away with that and this power that he had for such a short time. He said, no, I'll keep this stuff over here. No, let him have his way with thee. Verse 2 says, would you have him make you free and follow at his call? Would you know the peace that comes by giving all? Would you have him save you so that you need never fall? Let him have his way with you, with thee. And the third verse, would you in his kingdom find a place of constant rest? Would you prove him true each providential test? Oh, how true that is as believers. Tie of each providential test, he proves himself true again and again. He has, as our parent, as our father, he knows exactly what we need the same way a little infant knows that their parents got their back. They know what they need. And Jesus understands us through and through. He always has our back. He'll always, it's best for him to have his way with us. And it's, it's for our best. And this little phrase in the middle of this hymn, so beautiful, let him have his way with thee, is just like the central plea of this song. Let him have his way with thee. And as we sing this song this morning, I want us, those of us who are believers to just rejoice that we are experiencing the truth of this song. And if you're here this morning and you haven't committed your life to the Lord, you're not serving him. You have an adversary that's pesting you and troubling you the same way this, this widow did. I want you to respond by just coming forward. Somebody will come immediately and pray with you. Take, go to the prayer room, pray with you and you can find deliverance from that adversary who has been troubling you for a long time. And you can again experience the innocence that you once experienced in life as a young child, and you can look into God's eyes, unwavering, not having to look this way and that way because of things you're hiding, but you can find true deliverance. I've asked Demetrius to, to lead this song. Let's all stand together. Demetrius, if you could lead this song, please. And if God's talking to you, respond this morning and find deliverance. And if you are a believer, rejoice as you allow these words to sink in. Let's sing.
God's people said, Amen. Amen. Thank you, Jesus, for making a way. Thank you for making a way that we can return to that innocence that we experienced as a child. And it's the only way. There's no other way into heaven. Absolutely none. And so thank you, Jesus, for making that way. And thank you for making the church such a safe place that we can enjoy the company and the fellowship with one another. We can look each other in the eye and totally trust each other, uh, knowing that we care, care for each other. And most importantly, knowing that God has our back, God's caring for us, will sustain us as we continue to totally trust in him. Thank you for your presence today. Thank you for your attendance and your attention. May the Lord bless you this week. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for your presence with us today. And just ask that as we leave here, that your blessing would rest upon us. Help us to be a blessing to the people we come into contact with this week. And I ask that your grace and your mercy and your peace would be our portion as we leave here. In Jesus' name, amen.